Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Our Heavenly Father, as we approach your Word, we do so reverently, humbly, thanking you, dear Father God, for the privilege of studying your Word. Thanking you for unveiling and unfolding unto our spirits the depths of your love for us. Now, as we partake of this word, I thank you that your spirit will quicken it within us, causing it to become life, to become light, to become love. In each and every one of us, that we may be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' beloved name, amen. Well, we'll be looking at the ninth chapter. I've decided since it's so close to the Christmas holidays... That we would just call this message Christmas 82. Amen? What could be better than that? Christmas 82. You know, some people don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, Some Christians don't celebrate Christmas. And isn't it ironic that a lot of non-believers celebrate Christmas? You think about it. There's a lot of believers that don't. And there's a lot of non-believers that do. How come things always backwards? To the non-believer, Christmas is just a highly commercialized day that everybody goes out and parties. That's what they do. Have a good time, just another day to have a holiday, and a few days off of work, just do as they please. But to the believer, Christmas is every day. To the individual that has Christ in his heart, Christmas is every single day of the year. We don't need a special day to set aside because we've got him in our hearts every single day. Amen? But it's sad to say that some don't even believe, even as believers, don't believe in celebrating. And I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating the birth of our Lord. I mean, you celebrate your kid's birthday and so on and so forth. I saw when I was over in Youngstown during our week off there, my wife and I drove by this house it was all decorated and everything and I mean out on the front yard I never saw a cake so big it was huge I mean you couldn't you know just huge about 10 feet around you know all the way around and it said happy birthday Jesus candles everywhere just as huge as big as you can see it I said praise God somebody remembered what Christmas was all about amen isn't that good to see that not just decorated their house but had a huge cake out it said happy birthday Jesus Happy birthday, Jesus. Well, it's sad to say that some believers don't, but like I said, I won't get into that. I could, but I won't. I'll just stay away from that because as they believe, so let it be into them. But it's sad to say even in Christians' lives, a lot of born-again, spirit-filled believers' lives, there's a lack of knowledge concerning the events that surround what we call the Incarnation. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today I'd like to share with you uh, concerning the love of God. The love that compelled the Father God to send His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And actually it is an act of love. 
Love is a compelling force. It's the motivating force of God that caused him to send Jesus to the earth. Here in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, chapter nine, look at chapter nine. And as we go through this, it's, it's my prayer that your hearts just be filled with joy unspeakable, full of glory, flooded, flooded with the very life of God, flooded with joy. As you begin to see the pieces put together and the magnitude of God's love concerning us in the giving of his son, Jesus. See, we should, although we do celebrate it, we should never put the issue aside and allow the birth of our Lord Jesus be secondary to the celebration. It should be first. And if we're going to understand it, we've got to understand all the events that surround the birth of our Lord. In Isaiah 9, 6, we have what is called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. For unto us a child is born. Underline the phrase, child is born. Unto us a son is given. Underline the phrase, son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. We could stop right there and have a party. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. He's so wonderful. He's so gracious and he's so kind. Wonderful Jesus. The wonderful name of Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful. The name that raised him from the dead. The name that's above every other name. The wonderful name of Jesus that's above sickness and disease. The wonderful name of Jesus. We could go on and on and on. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, we need to understand these four things, I think, and it'll help us to get a better picture of what we celebrate. The hypostatic union is number one. Then number two, the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception. Then, of course, number three, the Incarnation. The Incarnation. And fourth, fourthly, agape love. Agape love. Number one, the hypostatic union. Number two, the Immaculate Conception. Number three, the Incarnation. And number four, agape love. If you understand these four things... And each and every one of them should be given time. Just, you know, I'm just going to break it down real quick. We want to give you some insight as to all these things. But number one here in Isaiah, the 9th chapter, verse 6, we see a reference to the hypostatic union. Now, the word hypostatic comes from the Greek word hypostasis. It's H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. And it means that which stands under. That which stands under. Hypo means under. Stasis, stasis means that which stands. So that which stands under. It's called the hypostatic union. And it's, it means the foundation. In other words, God was going to deliver the human race from Adam's sin. He was going to redeem us. And his plan or his program had a foundation to it. It would have a solid foundation. You know, anybody that's going to build a house is going to put a foundation, a good foundation. And he came to build his house in the earth. He was going to establish his kingdom in the earth. It would have to have a solid foundation. And this is exactly what this hypostatic union is talking about. A foundation. And that solid foundation would be namely this. 
the hypostatic union, the union between God and man. God's program, God's plan would involve a hypostatic union. It would involve the union, and I'll say it again, the union of God and man. Now that should hit you hard and heavy. God is going to unite himself with man. And sometimes I think we just talk about it in a, in a you know, just a ritualistic way, just a traditional way. Well, yeah, God became a man. Isn't that nice? But in essence, what this is going to reveal to us and show to us that Jesus permanently took on human form. Jesus permanently took on human form. He came and met the demands of justice, the claims of justice that were against man because he became a man. And when he became a man, it was not just for a few years, it was forever. And I'll give you some scriptural references to that. But here we have the reference to the hypostatic union. It's the foundation upon which God was going to build his kingdom in the earth. As a matter of fact, another scriptural reference to that is found in Ephesians 2 and 20. Let's look at it real quick. Ephesians 2 and 20. Well, we'll read 19 and 20. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and are with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the Father was going to lay the foundation. The chief cornerstone of that foundation involved a hypostatic union. The actual union between God and man. I want you to realize that Adam was not united with God as Jesus was in his earth walk. Adam would have been united eternally with the Father had he partaken of the tree of life. But he did not. And so instead of being united together with God, Adam became united together with Satan. An actual union took place. Jesus referred to Satan as being the father of all sinners. How devastating to think that man was actually united together with Satan in spirit. What a sad thing. But that's how the world is today. They are united together with Satan. But we see here this reference is telling us that Jesus was going to be... Now, notice the phrase or the expression, Jesus Christ, in the latter part of that, verse 20. Jesus Christ. That is a name for the hypostatic union. Christ was never called Jesus until the virgin birth. Christ preexisted with the Father from the foundation of the world. But you see the reference here, Jesus Christ. Now, that is a name of the hypostatic union. And to break it down for you, Isaiah said the child is born... The son is given. Now, the child is born is referring to his humanity. The humanity. The son that is given is referring to his deity. That's why through the scriptures you'll find it saying the son of man and the son of God. Now, the son of man is referring to his humanity and the son of God is referring to his deity. Jesus refers to his humanity and Christ refers, refers to his deity. But when you put the two together, Jesus Christ, you have what is called the hypostatic union, the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
united together as one. Now, whenever you see it, Jesus Christ, the emphasis is always on the humanity. Humanity to deity. But whenever you see it reversed, and did you ever often wonder why it's sometimes Jesus Christ and sometimes Christ Jesus? Well, when it's Christ Jesus, the emphasis is on deity towards humanity. Deity, humanity, and humanity towards deity. So it's Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus. But the name itself, Jesus Christ, Son of Man. Son of David is another name of the hypostatic union. These are names for this hypostatic union that would be the foundation upon which the kingdom of God would be built. Now, because Jesus always, as I said, pre-existed as the second person of the Godhead, He, as the Son of God, could be given. For God so loved the world that He gave. So God had to do His part, but still man had to do His part. God could give His Son, but He lacked one thing. He lacked a body. He had no tangibility. He had no reality. He had no contact with the physical realm as we know it, the human realm. Because he did not have a body. He had substance and tangibility in the spirit realm. But he did not have a body. He was Christ. He was, not, he was the Logos, the Word, but he was not a man. I want to clarify that. He was not a man. Sometimes we, when we say Jesus, we think of Jesus always. Well, praise God, it is Jesus always. But Jesus, at the time, Christ was not called Jesus until the time of his virgin birth. Let's look at Luke one thirty one. Here we have the reference to the birth. You remember that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And just very briefly, just verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Uh, you will see Matthew refers to Emmanuel, which is a fulfillment of Scripture. But his name is called Jesus. Christ was not called Jesus until, his vir until the virgin birth. Until he received an actual body. A physical body where he can contact this physical realm. So that he can have substance in this realm. And isn't it amazing how it's going to take faith to produce that? When you think about the magnitude of faith, when you talk about this here virgin woman, Mary... Highly favored in the eyes of God because of her faith. You know, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus had to have substance in this realm. Or I should say Christ had to have substance in this realm. He had to have a physical body. And without a physical body, he couldn't do man any good. And I want you to see that the 4,000 years that have now gone by until the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything that took place from the prophets... Right on down until the birth of our Lord, all was heading towards that birth. Everything was, you know, just lining up so that to this lineage of David, that child could be born. So we should not take the Old Testament lightly. I've never said to do that. But if you'll go back and study genealogy, you'll find out that right on through, up until his birth, Mary and Joseph both were born out of the lineage of David. And that's, that's really, we could take a side journey right here. That's really a part of the wisdom of God. Because Satan was looking for the one that would be born as it was prophesied so that he could destroy that child 
and prevent that child from being the savior of the world. And when it got to the king's ministry, he got into that lineage there and he destroyed that one side of the kingdom. Now, you'll recall that David had more than one son. And if you'll follow back to the lineage of David, you'll see that through the line of Solomon, that, that line was broken. And, and you'll find out that Satan thought he got in there and actually destroyed, you see, that lineage right through David, and prevented the Christ from being born. It's, a, it's an in-depth study. You'd have to go back and study all the kings and find out where they fell and how it was told by God that there would no longer be a king on that throne. But you'll find out that through Nathan. See, he had more than one son. You'll find out that through this other side of the family tree came Mary. Satan was looking at the other line and not this side. And so consequently, through Mary, Jesus was born. And so while this was like a decoy on this side, and Satan was working as hard as he could to destroy this side, God in his, of course, wisdom, brought forth on this beloved day, Jesus through Mary, and Mary was of the household of David. And so was Joseph. But it's a good side thought right there, and you can study it out for yourself. That's why you have... Two different references in, in lineage. In Matthew you have one, and in Luke you have another. And you'll find out one starts with Joseph, goes from Joseph, and the other from Mary. See? And if you study, study that, it's, it's, it's a beautiful study. It'll show you the wisdom of God concerning bringing forth Jesus. And believe me, Satan knew someone was coming. But he thought he had won the battle. He thought he stopped it from happening. But praise God in his ultimate wisdom. Thank God... Our only wise God was able, because of his wisdom, to bring forth Jesus because of his love concerning us. Okay. Now, let's take a look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I want to show you something concerning the body of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know about you. Sometimes, you know, we want to be inspired. And we could be inspired. We could talk about wonderful things around Christmas time. We could talk about... You know, how beautiful it is, and, and so on and so forth. We could have good flowery sermons. But I like to have the knowledge of God's Word. I like to know God's program. I like to be involved with His plan. I want to line up to what God is doing in the earth. And I want to just, you know, celebrate my Christmas holiday knowing the importance of the birth of our Lord. So that I could, you know, better understand the love of God. Our brother talking about power. Well, in Ephesians, the third chapter... It talks about, if you know the love of God that passes knowledge, and this is some of this knowledge I'm going to give you is going to bypass your heads. You're not going to be able to grasp it. You're not going to be able to understand it. We talk about hypostatic union. We talk about immaculate conception. We talk about, you know, the incarnation. Agape love of God. And it's all headed up in this agape love. But he said there in the third chapter, verses 14 through 20, if we would know the love of God that passes all knowledge, we would be filled with all the fullness of God, and he'd be able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to that power that's at work within us. According to that dunamis that's working within us. According to that power that's operative in us. See? And that's what we need to have. That power has got to be operative in us. Working within us so that God the Father can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask. Okay? Now here in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, notice Christ can do nothing without a body. Although it was the will of God to give His Son. 
And we see that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Still man had his part to play. God was not going to work this thing out alone. He was going to work it out with man. See? Now, Christ does not have a body at this time. He is the Logos, the second person of the Godhead, the Eternal One. The Father decides to give Him to the world, for God so loved the world that He gave. Christ, at that time, makes the decision that I will go to the world, but I don't have a body. I have no way of gaining entrance legally into the earth. He needs tangibility. He needs substance. He needs reality in this realm. And so here we see in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, quickly look at verse 5. You can read the first 10 verses. It'll bless you. I just want to point out verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. That's Christ speaking. That is Christ speaking. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was, it was revealed to him the words spoken by Christ in his entrance into the earth. And he said, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body you have prepared for me. When was this body prepared for Jesus? It's found in Isaiah, the seventh chapter. Let's take a quick look. And I'll show you how the Father does everything by his word. Every event involved in the plan of redemption has come by the way of the Word of God. And that's why our contact with Him should be through His Word. Should be in every Christian's life through His Word. And we should be independent of circumstances that are contrary to the Word of God. I don't care how bleak it looks. I don't care how it doesn't sound possible. Or feasible that a virgin can give birth to a child. If God said it, it'll be. It'll come to pass. But this is how he prepared that body. I want to show you here. 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And the virgin shall call his name Emmanuel. The reference there, the marginal Mine says it'll be the virgin that'll do it. But a virgin shall conceive. When he spoke that through the lips of Isaiah, when this was prophesied, I want you to know that the spiritual forces that needed to be in operation to cause Mary on that blessed day to find favor in the sight of the Lord began to go into operation. The spiritual forces from the time that these words were spoken through the lips, of course, it started way back in Genesis 3.15, the first prophetic utterance concerning the Savior. But here again, he is reemphasizing the fact that a virgin shall bring forth a child. And his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Again, referring to this hypostatic union between God and man. God taking on human form by the way of a woman. Okay. Now, let's go back to Luke and chapter 1. And you'll see the fulfillment of this in what we call the Immaculate Conception. Now, legally, Christ had to come into the earth legally by way of a human body. He had no access into the earth except by a way of a human body. He had to get into this earth realm 
in order to destroy the works of the devil. Someone says, well, he could have done anything he wants. God's sovereign. I'll tell you something right now. If, God, if, if God's sovereignty means he could have destroyed Satan without sending Christ to the earth, then why didn't he do it? Why would God want to send his son to the earth so that he can die and suffer upon Calvary and suffer the torments of hell if he could have done it another way? There was no other way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, if there is another way, let this cup be passed from me. But there wasn't any other way. There was no other way. There's no way, other way to do it. Christ had to take on human form. And beloved, I say this again to, to reemphasize to your spirits the love of God concerning you. When, G, when Christ made the decision to take on human form, it was an eternal decision. It was not for just 33 years like some people seem to think. The magnitude of God's love for us that Christ was willing to take on human form, take on a human body, and eternally be united together with man. And eternally stand in the presence of the Father, justifying his man. It's awesome. It's awesome when you begin to think. Your mind just begins to stagger. We, we, you know, just the thoughts concerning what was involved to send Christ to this earth will stagger your human mind. And that's why the love of God bypasses human knowledge. Your mind will never grasp all of what I'm about to say here. But I'll tell you what, something down on the inside will just rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you find the ultimate love of God concerning you. In, a, in verse 26. Now, the preparation of this body involves what is called the Immaculate Conception. Now, the hypostatic union cannot take, well, the hypostatic union really cannot take place without an Immaculate Conception. And the reason being is because Isaiah 7, 14 said that it would be a virgin that would conceive. See, and bring forth this body. So in order, and let me say this before we look at this. Because spirit life is a higher form of life than human life, it is possible that spiritual life can leave that estate of spiritual life and take on the form of human life. You recall the angels that sinned left their first estate. They left that first estate and decided they wanted to take on human form. And they sinned. And the sin was so grievous that they were chained in darkness until the day of judgment. You find that in Jude. But it's possible that spirit life could lower itself. And don't you remember that in Philippians the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself? He lowered himself to become a man, to take on human form? He did that with the knowledge and the understanding that if he failed... There was no way back to the Father. Hear me. If he failed in his attempt to redeem mankind, there was no way back to the Father. If the second Adam failed and did what the first Adam did, Satan is victorious. Satan wins the battle. Man's eternally lost. God's defeated. Can you imagine that? God being defeated? No way. But I want, I want to show you the magnitude of God giving his son, of his love concerning his giving of his son. Now here, we call this the Immaculate Conception. The natural mind, you know, a lot of people will not consider the fact that a woman could be impregnated without a man, the seed of a man. But remember, we said that the seed of man is only human life. But spirit life is higher than human life. Spirit life, 
caused this human life to come into existence and into being. And let's just read it first and then we'll go on. And in the sixth month, verse 26, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hell, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That is a legitimate question. She is not questioning God or the angel. She's saying, how shall this be done since I don't know a man? The, the only way that she could conceive would be to know a man. As a matter of fact, you take all, all your med people that are in the medical field and profession, scientific field and profession, and you'll find out that's why they don't believe in the virgin birth, because man or woman cannot be impregnated with, apart from the seed of man. But the angel comes with wisdom from above and says... The angel answered, said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest, we go back to that power, shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Reference to his deity. Not the Son of Man, but the Son of God. She hath also conceived in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And here you can just see the delight of the Father's heart. When Mary looks up to those pearly gates of heaven, she lifts up her voice and she says, actually a better translation, for with God, nothing shall be impossible, is no word of God shall be void of power. No word from God shall be void of power. If there's power in God's word to impregnate me, that's what she's saying. I believe it. If I could be, if I can conceive a child in my womb by a word from God, I believe it. And the Holy Ghost will come upon me and do it. And so she said, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. At that moment we have the immaculate conception. When a woman was so sold out to God... And so believe the word of God above the word of man that says a woman cannot conceive a child without the seed of man, but believe that the seed of God's word, being born again, not a corruptible, but an incorruptible seed, the word is the seed. There's a word, and that word was, a virgin shall bring forth a child. She shall conceive in her womb. And that word that she conceived was the Logos. And at that moment, the immaculate conception took place and the body that he prepared when he spoke those words prophetically in Genesis 3.15 were now a reality. Christ has found substance in the physical realm legally by the way of birth through a human body. And this is exactly what Jesus referred to in John 10. Look at verse 1. John 10 verse 1.
Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Satan stole his way in, into the earth by deceiving man. He robbed, he stole from man. He, he stole his authority. He robbed him of his relationship with God. He stole his authority. He stripped him naked, causing him to be ashamed. But, he said, but he that entereth in by the door, the door is physical birth. He says, I didn't come in to rob you. I didn't come in to steal from you. I came in by the door. The door, okay, is the shepherd of the sheep. I'm your shepherd. See, when, when a, a sheep herder, when the shepherds are out there tending to the sheep, keeping the, the flocks, the thief will come in and climb up another way, over the fence, to enter in and to steal and to kill and to destroy of the, of the flock. But the shepherd, he just walks into the door and comes in to protect and to care for the sheep. And Jesus was saying Satan came in to the earth you know, just like the thief. He stole from you. He cheated you. He robbed from you. He said, but I want you to know that my purpose in coming is not to steal, to kill, or to destroy. But I have come by the way of birth, the legal way to enter the earth realm. He's saying, well, what's so devastating about that? I'll tell you what's so devastating. Satan had a higher form of life, being a spirit being. He wasn't about to lower himself to the level of man, you see, to lower himself. But Christ was willing to lower himself, to empty himself of his glory, empty himself of his, all that he had in the bosom of the Father, and willing to come into the earth legally by the way of a human body. And when you understand this, it staggers the mind. He that created the universe, he that created man, all things are made by him, was actually willing, and I've said this before, it's like the person that built this building, He's greater than the building. But Jesus is or Christ becoming a man was like that worker, that builder, becoming a support beam. That's how devastating it is. Brother Gary here, he's in the construction business. Can you imagine becoming a nail? Think about that. Think about that. Can you imagine becoming the building that you built? Well, here he is. And if you could just visualize this, as you can see, here's the world and here's God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, back here looking at that little thing in the palm of His hand. Here's the Son of God in the bosom of the Father. And there's man like little ants walking around the earth. And He says, I'll go. And He gives up this to become that. That's what happened when she conceived Him in the womb. That's how He humbled Himself to become a man. Through the legal channel of birth. He had to give up all that to become a man. That's the beginning of his humility. As we go on read here, verse 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. He calls you by name. He calls you by name. He doesn't come to rob or to steal or to destroy. He comes by, by the way of the door. Anybody's heart. And he comes for the purpose. As you see in verse 10, The thief came not to steal, to kill, to destroy, but I came to give life. That they might have that life more abundantly. Satan came to produce death. Jesus came to give life. What a wonderful Jesus. Matter of fact, look, at, look up at verse 7 and let's read right through. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. 
He was, he, first of all, he came by way of the door. Now he is the door. He came by way of the door, which was the legal entry into the earth to the human body. But now he says, I am the door. What's he talking about? He's talking about the doorway to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father but by me. And if you're going to go to the Father, you've got to go by the way of the door. By the way of Calvary. You've got to follow Calvary. Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him, number one, deny himself, that's discipline. Number two, take up his cross. That's suffering offenses for the cross and for the word's sake. And number three, let him follow me. Let him follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. He is the way. Now, here we come to the point of, like I said, I'm going to go briefly through these, the incarnation. It's devastating, it's mind-boggling, it's staggering to the human mind. But let's go back to Luke, second chapter. <clears throat> Verse 8. After the conception, you know, nine months later, Mary gives birth to what is called an incarnation, the Immaculate Son of God, the God-Man. And I want you to realize that no one ever existed on the earth as the God-Man. Adam was not the God-Man. He would have been had he partaken of that tree of life. He would have been united together with God eternally. But Jesus was a new species. An individual in the earth that never existed before. A God-man. God had to redeem man by taking on a human form. So Jesus becomes that God-man. And here, when we have the, the actual birth of Jesus, of course, you know that is the incarnation. We have the birth of a baby who is 100% God and 100% man. Let's read it. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord, it was so important that it was not going to be announced by anyone less than the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. The angel of the Lord and the Holy Ghost appeared unto these shepherds, came upon them, showed right about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be in all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice, it's giving reference to that deity. And Mary calls his name Jesus. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It was so devastating to these people. Can you imagine being shepherds out there night after night after night after night? And I'm just, you know, just doing your job. And one night it's the angel of the Lord. It's the glory of God of the Holy Ghost. And then finally, a host of angels appear. Notice that they didn't appear to kings or the religious folk. But they came to some shepherds with the declaration that tonight 
in the city of David. Exactly what, where it was prophesied. You remember when, when uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees got together to try to find out where this Christ was born? They couldn't even discover it or find out. But these lowly shepherd people believed that in the city of David, in Bethlehem, that's exactly where they went. They knew all about it. They went to Bethlehem and they found the baby. Not the kings, not the religious people. They wouldn't believe it. But bless God to the common people and brought the glad tidings of great joy. It has actually taken place. And if you can see the delight of the Father's heart, and if you could realize that after 4,000 years of planning His strategy, working with humanity, so as to make it possible through the lineage of David to bring forth what is called... No, He couldn't just go to the earth like He made Adam, you know, throw some dust together. Why couldn't He do that? That was not in His program. That was not the way He could do it. He was not going to make another Adam out of the earth. This second Adam, beloved, was God himself being liable for the sin of man. Coming to this earth and taking on human form to the legal door of birth. And you can understand that then angels that were worshiping the Father there at his throne now have come to the earth. To announce and proclaim these, this great glad tidings of great joy. That today is born. This day is born. The God-man. The God-man. Hallelujah. The God-man. Never existed before. God left his throne to take on human form. To destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. See, if you could just see all that's behind that, it'll thrill your heart. It'll just thrill your heart. So we have here then what is called the incarnation. Now what I want you to see is agape love is the force, the motivating force. Agape love was the motivating force that motivated the Father to do all this. It was His love. His love for each and every one of us. You've heard it said time and time again. Well, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. Right? How many times do you hear that? You know, and sometimes they just become words. Because we don't get into the meat of God's Word to find out just what it meant for God to give His only begotten Son. John 3.16 just becomes another scripture. Hidden in our minds. Yes, God so loved us that He gave and people walk through the you know, course of their day saying, God doesn't love me. Because they've never studied out to find out just how much He loves you to give you Jesus. But it was agape love. That was the force. Now, I'll scripturally prove that to you. You know John 3.16. Turn to 1 John 4. John 3.16, you know, says, For God so loved. That's the word agape. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. What would compel the Father to do such a thing? What would compel Jesus to give His life? Do you ever hear the expression, born to die? Why would, you, why would Christ be born in the earth realm to die? Any of you out there want to die? No way. I don't want to die. Do you want to die? Slip off in the glory. Who wants to die? It's not in us to die. We don't want to die. But bless God, He made that decision well knowing that He had to die. He was born to die. Physically, to die. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Look at 1 John. 
fourth chapter, verse, we know verses 7 and 8. We sing about verses 7 and 8. But look at verse 9 and 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. See, someone says, God doesn't love me. Well, you're not reading what he's saying here. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. In other words, there isn't anything in the world that God can do for you greater than this. He could not show you any more love than this. This is the ultimate. Okay, and here's what he says. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Now look at the weight those words carry when you understand the hypostatic union. When you understand the immaculate conception. When you understand the humility of Jesus, of Christ, to humble himself to become a man. When he is the creator and the author of all things. To take on a human form and limit his, you know, I mean, he's just, as a spirit, he's unlimited. But to limit himself to walk on the creation that he created to die for humanity. And here, it's reemphasized again by John, the beloved. He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And verse 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Never lose, never forget the fact that you've been delivered from your sins. Remember Peter said, he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see far off and has forgotten that he was delivered of his sins. He forgot that. When someone says, God doesn't love me, you forgot all about this, didn't you? You forgot that if he did this for you, there's no other way that he can express his love that could be greater than this. As a matter of fact, again, it's reemphasized in John 15, 13, where Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this. There isn't any more love than this. Did a man lay down his life for his friends? And then again, in Romans, the fifth chapter, scarcely for a righteous man one would die. For adventure for a good man one would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, the motivating force behind all this is love. God loved us so much. God loves us so much. But it's past tense because he gave. God loved us so much that he was willing that while we were yet sinners, he was willing and Christ was willing to take on human form for the purpose of dying for us. To go through what is called that hypostatic union. And beloved, people have a hard time saying that we have been raised up together with Christ. We are on an equal, you know, plane with God. And they get, oh, you're speaking blasphemy. You're making yourself equal with God. The Bible clearly states that when God joined himself together with man, man did not exalt himself, but God exalted man to be equal with him. Equal heirs with God. Joint heirs with Jesus. Think about that. I don't believe that we begin to fathom. I don't believe our eyes have begin to see what John was referring to. He says, behold, now what, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us to call us the sons of God. Name for deity. The name of deity. And sometimes we're, people are, are, are reluctant to say things like that. But to call us sons of God as Jesus was called the Son of God because an incarnation has taken place in us when God regenerated our spirits and became... Part of us. The Bible says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. A new species that never before existed. Think about that. Think about the depths of that statement. 
And I want to show you something else. Uh, John had the privilege. You, you see all the scriptures that he writes. He writes John 3.16, John 15.13, 1 John 4. He had the privilege of talking about this love being the apostle of love. Being so close to the bosom of Jesus when he, walked, when he was here on the earth. So close to Jesus. He loved him so much he put his head on his bosom. He just loved Jesus so much. He was by his side everywhere he went. But he had another privilege, I think, that was, is unparalleled to anybody that walked on this earth. And I believe it probably would surpass, possibly, the experience of, of the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle. I'm going to give that to you now. And I'm going to show you that Jesus, that Christ, when he gave up his, his position with the Father and came to the earth, he did it eternally. Matter of fact, let's look at that first. I'm going to share about John. Let's go to 1 Timothy first. I don't want to leave this out. 1 Timothy. Someone asked me this. I don't recall who it was. In reference to, to, to Christ becoming a man eternally. And you know, these things can stagger our minds if we don't get into God's Word. We could be devastated by them. We could, we could uh, not understand that. But look at this scripture in 1 Timothy, 2nd chapter. Now, he loved us so much that he gave Jesus. He gave his life. And as I said, that when Christ took on humanity, he took it on eternally. In verse 5. For there is one God. And... One mediator between God and men, the man. The man, the man. Now notice this last expression, Christ Jesus. That's the hypostatic union, but it's talking about deity. The emphasis of deity towards humanity, the man. This man, I'm telling you right now. This man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus is someone that the world has never seen before, never heard of before. So unique that unless, if you try to figure it out with your head, you're going to fall short. This created, this, this born, this child that was born, this son that was given, is so unique that he's called after his resurrection, the man, Christ Jesus. There is a man at the right hand of the Father. A man who stands in the position as our intercessor. He's also the Son of God. He's also the Son of Man. He is the man who is hooked up together forever with man and God. The union between man and God. Now John had the privilege of seeing this. Remember he said in the, in the first chapter, verse 29 of his, of his gospel, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Remember that? Behold the Lamb of God. And in, in his first epistle he said, That which was in the beginning, which I have seen, which I have handled, which I have heard, which I am speaking unto you so that your fellowship can be with our fellowship. I have seen it. I have heard it. I have beheld it. I have beheld the glory and the, the Son of God. He was there at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, when Jesus spoke and said for her, him to take care of her concerning her life. He stood there and saw him wounded. He saw his crown of thorns. He saw the spear thrust into his side. He beheld with his own eyes the one whom he loved so much in his anguish and in his suffering. But I want to show you that God's love 
is so far-reaching that this man was privileged to see him after the resurrection. Now look at Revelation, the fifth chapter. I want to point something out to you. I've read this, I've quoted it many times, but as I began to do this study, my heart just opened up to it. I, I, I was just opened up to what was really being said right here, and really how John's vision here, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, in the throne room, is so meaningful for us to understand right here at this particular time. He beheld him as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the... On the cross, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But here, in the throne, in the vision that he had, he stands before the throne of God, and the angel says and proclaims with a loud voice, Who is worthy to take this book and to loose the seals thereof? Now remember, everything that's going to take place involves the opening of that book and the loosing of those seals. And he's there before the throne of God. John is now in his vision, in the Spirit. Who's worthy to take this book? Nobody in heaven or earth was found worthy to open the book, neither to look thereon. John wept. That's verse, what, four, five, four. And I wept much because no man was found worthy. No man. I want to emphasize that. No man. God wasn't going to do it. Had to be a man who was found worthy enough to take that book and to loose those seals. Had to be a man. One of the elders in verse 5 saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I beheld... Behold the Lamb of God at the beginning who taketh away the sin of the world. He beheld him as he hung there on that cross. And now he says, and I beheld. I don't believe another person's eyes saw what this man saw here in this vision. I don't know if Paul did. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I know this. This man right here, he beheld. And look what it says. And lo, verse 6, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb... Now, you ready for this? He saw him hung there on Calvary. He saw the wounds. He saw him slain. And now, in that throne room, he saw the lamb as it had been slain. He saw him just as he'd been slain. Now, someone said this, and, and I'm just going to throw it out to you. You could chew on it. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm not dogmatic on it, but they said that Jesus will bear those marks. Bear those marks throughout all eternity. The hands, the piercing of the side. That's what they said. But if, if that's true, can you imagine that? Can you imagine what this man did for you and for me? He beheld the Lamb as it had been slain. John there in that vision, in all that glory, he sees the man Jesus. The man He's in glory now. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's in the midst of the throne. He walks over and he sees this lamb as it had been slain. I beheld him hung on the cross. Now I'm, beh I'm beholding him as he had been slain. And the only one that was, only man that was worthy 
was the man, Christ Jesus, to walk over to the throne, to go up to the Father and take the book. That means the whole plan of God was based upon that life. He was worthy to open the book because He redeemed us to God by His blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us to our God, kings and priests. Now you're ready? The same angels that rejoiced at His birth now are rejoicing around the throne. Rejoicing with the elders and the four beasts. And I can just see the tears of John, John's face. They were streaming down his face because no one was found worthy. Now they're tears of joy. I beheld him there, but now the one whom I laid my head on his bosom, I see him again. I see him again. Victorious. Maybe bearing the marks that he was slain, but victorious. No, Jesus, when, he became, when Christ became Jesus, he did it for eternity. With the understanding. Yeah, he would be glorified and back to his position. But he is the physical member of the Godhead. Now you can see his body. He took on human form for the purpose of redeeming humanity. Can you imagine the magnitude of God's love to allow such a thing to happen? I can't fathom it. Can you? I can't imagine it. Can you? But my heart says it's so. My spirit tells me he loves me that much. I mean, they rejoiced and they had a hallelujah party saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And John saw that slain Lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And beloved, he made us kings and priests. When no man was found worthy, the man, the man Jesus was. Christ Jesus. He's even referred to as a man in glory. The man. It's awesome, isn't it? It's staggering to the mind. Well, I believe we're out of time. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.